This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. G'day guys, welcome to Awesome Humans COVID-19 edition. I'm your host, Brett McCallum, and during this difficult time, we're trying to bring you the biggest and brightest humans we can off this amazing planet of ours. We're trying to give you some stories to keep you entertained whilst you're all locked away in isolation. Today's one's going to be an absolute ripper, so I really hope you do enjoy it. I've always been a bit partial to a bit of gossip. I'm an avid reality TV watcher. I absolutely love the United States of America and all the pizzazz that it brings with it. So this is what you get when you put all this together. An Australian-based Hollywood gossip guru who's been a gossip queen, a snazzy shirt-wearing king of the jungle who once reportedly ran over one of Australia's icons in Hugh Jackman. Not sure whether that's true. We'll get to that later on. But I'm really, really excited about today's podcast. Mr. Richard Reid, how are you? Oh, I'm terrific. What a great intro. Oh, thank you you know much. what? I couldn't have written it better myself, and I just may have. <laughs> there you go. Do, do you think you did? No, 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 no. <laughs> but gosh, you, 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 if I had, you know, I would have said exactly the same thing. You know, that was, and plus that's a great tease with the running over Australian icon, Hugh Jackman. But we'll get to that later. We will, we will. But the <laughs> question I always ask people is, because this is all about you, is how far back can you go with your memory? What's your first ever memory that you can remember? Oh, well, probably, oh, my mother, you know, uh, it rained a lot where I lived in Oregon and my mother was a very creative kind of out there woman. And so we would always have picnics in our living room when it rained. So, you know, she'd set out the blanket, we'd pack a picnic basket, and then we'd have a picnic in our living room, but it was pouring down rain. So those memories, good memories, good memories of my mother back then. So how old were you then, do you think? Uh, I was probably five or six. Five or six. So do some people remember like, you know, popping out of the womb? Yeah, not very often. Some some people are tapping on the womb trying to get out, but uh, let's not go back. <laughs> Let me out! Let me out! <laughs> There's this bright light! Oh, my God! I've got um, a song to sing! <laughs> so where were you born? Uh, I was born in Oregon, um, in Salem, Oregon, and then my family moved all around Oregon State. And then for people who don't know... Uh, it's the state above California. It's on the West Coast. You have California, Oregon, which is Portland, uh, not far from there. And then above that is Washington, where Seattle and Grunge Rock is. So there's only three states on the West Coast of America. And is that Salem, as in the Salem Witch Trolls? Well, yes. You know what? That is the number one question people ask. The second one is, isn't that where Days of Our Lives was? Do you know Marlena? And I'm like, <laughs> no, that was a mythical Salem. And no, that's Salem, Massachusetts, which is on the East Coast. But, okay. you know, points for trying. And incidentally, I have been told that the word Salem means peace, not like Peace. Piece of tail, but peace of, you know, peace, like worldwide peace. Like peace and tranquility. <laughs> yes, I should have just said that. There we go. I'm helping you a lot today. That's fine. So school, where, where'd you go to school? Oh, gosh, school. Uh, which which part? Which which school? When, when you you first grade start. school? Yeah, oh, first my God. Start. Well, you know, grade school, just went to grade school, you know, where you go, Edgewood Elementary. Edgewood and Elementary. I, you know, I didn't do so well in, in grade school because hard to believe I was a talker. Really? And so I would constantly be uh, pulled up for talking, you know, really literally sat in the corner. Uh, I was also late all the time. And so this was back in the 70s. So we had to, we had like guidance counselors and it was all touchy feely. So I had to go and I had to meet with this guidance counselor because I was habitually late and overly talkative and disruptive. So I had to meet with a guidance counselor uh, once a week to talk about these issues and to improve on them. The irony of that you were talking too much and you had to meet with someone to talk about it. 
You know, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's very strange that, you know, in later years and in, in what I've made my career at and my name is from talking and talking a lot and talking, I can't help it, but loudly. So all the things I was punished for early on, I've turned into a positive and made my career at. So screw you, Edgewood Elementary. Exactly. And there's hope for all of us talkative kids. There is hope for us. There's, you know, I'm a big believer always of turning a negative into a positive. And uh, I, I, I honestly think, and I'm not up myself or talking myself up, I think that I'm an, I, I try to be an example of that, trying to turn negatives into positives. That's awesome. So from Edgewood Elementary, did you then go to middle school? Is that next? Yes. Then I went to, um, let's see what we call it. We call that junior high. Uh -huh. And uh, junior high was rough. By then we'd moved to a town called Klamath Falls, Oregon, which is in Southern Oregon. And it's a little bit of an armpit. And uh, yeah, I didn't have quite a good time in junior high. I was uh, a little bit of a town homo. And so that was, you know, I was like the only gay in the village. And so that, yeah. that, was, that was quite challenging because everyone seemed to know except for me. And I was like, well, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> Why are people saying these things about me? And I probably said it just like that. And so that, that was very challenging. And it's very interesting, Brett, that it was during that time that I became actually quite withdrawn and became quite introverted because I didn't want to draw attention to myself. I just wanted to get through the best I could. And were you like flamboyant? Do you say that? You know then? what? I don't think I was flamboyant. I really don't. I, I and I have thought about it way too much. But I would say I was. There's old expression. Light in the loafers. You ever hear that one? Yeah, yeah. So I was a little bit light in the loafers. Um, and so I did think I was just soft, you know, or, you know, obviously interested in, you know, uh, uh, Cher, Celine Dion, you know, all the good things in life. Yeah. And if you so, could turn back time. Uh, yeah, God, <laughs> you know. Um, and did you play sport or anything like that? Is it something you were sort of proactively sort of hiding? You know, what you know, what did idea? you think about asking me that question? I did. No, I just thought sometimes. And you know. no, of course not. <laughs> of course not. Were you on the cheer squad? I know, but that that would that'd be more like it. I was <laughs> in I was in band. I played uh, the saxophone and I played the percussion, the timpani drums and the snare drum. Uh, all the percussion instruments. And then I was also in the choir and uh, high school drama class, of course. And so during this time, are you sort of uh, smart? Are you one of those kids that didn't care? How were you educationally was? I was uh, an average student, I would say. You know, I was I excelled at English and literature and things that were more creative. In terms of math, I cannot tell you, Brett, how many times I've had to take remedial math classes. <laughs> I couldn't do a fraction if, if I was threatened with death. You know, <laughs> algebra, pre-algebra, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what those concepts mean, uh, let alone th the thought of having to do calculus somehow i got out of doing that so math was never my strong point history i wish i'd paid a little more attention to history back then why you know because i would really like to know more about uh world war ii when my father was in world war ii and also the vietnam war i would like to learn more about that i still plan on that it's on my list i could go on netflix and watch a documentary but it was such a point of divisiveness and contention not only within america and but globally but also in my home my uh father actually my stepfather but i call him my father he was always quite conservative and a big believer that you know we wouldn't be in a war 
that we shouldn't be in. So we have raw, 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 you know? And so Vietnam was always, if you want to get an argument with my dad, bring up Vietnam. Oh, you really? know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then it was uh, only just about four or five years ago because, you know, Americans, we tend to learn things from just an American perspective. Really? There's um, a bubble or something, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. And especially because we weren't taught about the Vietnam War when I was in school because we, quote, lost the war, which, you know, I, I'm I not still don't understand that either. Stir, not sure, not sure, but we didn't we didn't learn about the Vietnam War. Um, and oh, but what I was going to say was that Australia also played a very huge part in the Vietnam War, and I hadn't known that. So I, I've talked to a few people about that and their their parents' experience, and it's just fascinating. And it's really uh, heartbreaking that uh, both in the United States and Australia that the Vietnam veterans were not treated very well when they came back from service. Yeah, I agree 100%. Anyone that's gone out and served their country, <laughs> to me, it's like, thank you. <laughs> We are here yeah, believe me, I'm a person who knows that, you know, winning's not everything. I haven't won a lot in my life. And so I think that there was just this, not only the fact that, you know, perhaps we didn't win the war, but that there was just so much, so many lies around it. And so I think that for veterans to come back to their, their homes, they just signified such a horrendous time that no one wanted to be reminded of that. Yeah. Yeah, PTSD is a, a massive issue in not only this country, but all countries in regards to all conflicts and all wars. And I think it's mm. one of those things that isn't treated right. It needs to be a lot more um, a lot more to do and people need to a lot more help than they actually admit it. But you also mm. got to remember a lot of these guys are, big, tough men that don't need help. You know what I mean? It's like they're, they're not the ones out there actually chatting about this stuff, <laughs> which is very true. No, no they're, they're not. They're not. So, and, you know, back then, no one really wanted to talk about their feelings. You know, really course. no one, not even, no, you know, it wasn't even men, women. It really wasn't the time of, you know, talking about, it. Everyone kind of kept their their problems to themselves. Now it's like you ask someone, a stranger, "Hey, how's your day going?" Oh my God, it's just I just feel like the whole world is. Uh... You're like I was just saying good day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you I was just saying, Hi, but thanks for sharing. <laughs> yeah. So, are you an only child? Have you got siblings? I have. I got your mid mouth. I'm a there. middle Sorry child. That. Sorry, I was having a piece of chicken. Um, I have an older brother and a younger sister, so I'm a middle child, and I'm very close to my sister. We're only a couple years apart. I'm not as close with my brother, um, you know, for a lot of reasons, yeah. uh, you know. And do you have uh, Jan Brady syndrome, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha syndrome? Um, no. Uh, you know okay. what? I don't have Jan Brady uh, syndrome. However... I learned from my brother's mistakes, and so I was much more clever in, uh, you know, fooling my parents. You know, my brother was just <laughs> stupid, you know, staying out late, coming home smelling like cigarette smoke, beer on his breath. You know, I only smoked outside and would have toothpaste so I could cover up any kind of alcohol <laughs> on my breath. So, so you were the smart you know, one. That's what you're trying I to do. I was the totally smart one, so I just kind of... I mostly um, uh, just kind of glid beneath the surface, yeah. surface while my brother and sister, you know, took the brunt of everything. Fair enough. And you said before at school and stuff, you were uh, bullied or, or looked down upon or whatever you want to call that. How did they handle that? Did they help you? Were they, was it, was it something they noticed or how was that? Mm, no, no, I don't think so. I don't, think so perhaps my sister did but she had her own kind of issues uh going on but it really wasn't something that was addressed uh certainly not with my brother um and uh it was never i talked about with my uh parents mm. it was just something that i i had to deal with alone i was very um alone and isolated yeah. with that and just kind of kept my head low and tried to get through it. And then it wasn't 
until when I was in year maybe 10 or 11, where I really got involved in um, uh, high school drama. Mm. And then the I, I found that kind of tribe, that whole drama click, that whole drama part. And so I hung out with those people. So I did have friends finally. But for a long time, I really didn't have any friends. It's tough for kids, isn't it? It's very tough. It's very tough. And, you know, I I really, uh, I, so I'm told from young people today (laughs) that it's much easier. Um, Yet, you know, I'm predominantly no city kids. I don't know country kids. So I would think in the country and the outlying areas, it would still be very challenging, but I'd like to think that it's, it's better, hopefully. Yeah. I I think a lot of people talk a lot more these days and people are more accepting of others um, or they seem to be. There's still, I noticed yesterday that a lot of Asian people are getting blamed for COVID virus and there's a lot of racism happening on the streets and stuff, which is atrocious. And none of that should happen anywhere. But uh, we seem to be a society that does talk a lot more these days. Yeah, yeah, I I would think so. I would think so. And, you know, I think, uh, I don't know of these examples of uh, Asians getting bullied over the coronavirus. Um, Certainly not, but I know that... uh, when times are tough, especially as they are now in the times of uncertainty, it's really easy to want to blame somebody yeah, or course. some, you know, like there's that whole conspiracy theory that maybe this was, you know, invented in a lab, in a scientific lab in China, and it was just unleashed on the world. I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's interesting, you know. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but you know, there's so many different theories. You know, uh, the the bat story, of course. You know, they ate a raw bat, and the bat ate something. No, oh, you know, and maybe that's true. It's just, it, it, no matter where it came from, it's here, yeah. and it is what it is, and that's the reality that we have to deal with. Indeed, indeed. So, when you leave school, did you go to university? I did. I went to university several times. <laughs> what, what was the first one? What were you going uh, to the, be? First, the first time was uh, when I was uh, 18 uh, in my town of Salem, Oregon. I left home as soon as I graduated, got on a bus, and I moved to San Francisco. And, uh, you know, I, I, I went to a uh, two-year college just because that's what you do, and uh, studied, of course, uh, uh, literature and drama and music and all those things that don't really earn you a living. (laughs) And then I went to another school where I studied uh, acting, and after two years, they, they said, well, we really like you, but we don't think you can act, and so we're kicking you out. I was so that was the it. plan. You were going to be an actor. I thought that I would do something like that. And yes, I thought I wanted to be an actor at that time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I was told at that time that I couldn't act. And and again, remember, this is a long time ago when anyone who was possibly uh, obviously uh, gay or not straight would have a harder time you know, playing different roles. Now I think anyone can play just about anything, but they told me I couldn't act. So they kicked me out. And so I did what most people do when they get kicked out of college in California. They moved to New York City. <laughs> so I did that. Like script. This could be a good movie I know, script. I know. And so um, I got to tell you, youth is such a good buffer to the to the harsh realities of, <laughs> of New York City, because I lived in, I swear, a tenement slum with hookers and drug addicts all around me. But I was like, wow, a New York City apartment. Wow. I'm like, what's that? It's a giant cockroach and a rat. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, I just thought it was awesome. So, so the plan to go to New York City and get a job, or were you going to be an actor still, or you'd given up on well, that? Well, I was going to uh, uh, be an actor, and I was moderately successful. I did a couple of commercials. Hmm. One what for, was your uh, first commercial? 
I did a Dunkin' Donut commercial. Nice. And uh, then I did uh, a Hungry Jack's commercial. We call it Burger King, of course. Yep. And then I also did a couple of uh, soaps. I did one called uh, The Guiding Light and another one, I think it was called Edge of Night, possibly. See, but I, I never really got past, they have a thing called uh, under five, which means five lines or less. Yeah. And so I never made it quite past five lines. <laughs> I was like, right this way to your table, your waiter will be right with you. That'd be my role, right? <laughs> I like how you can remember these lines. So oh, God, yes. It's amazing. Yes. One time I was like, I was this uh, uh, kind of uh, snooty mater d, and I was like, um, well, I don't think you have a reservation. I don't think that uh, we have a table for you. And the guy said, well, you tell the manager so-and-so is here. So then I went back and talked to the manager. Then I came out and was like, right this way, sir. I'm so sorry to have troubled you. And then I gave him his table because apparently he was the big shit in town or something, you know? So, yeah. I and did a you lot get paid much back then? Back in the day, like doing that sort of stuff? Or was it just a couple hundred bucks or? Oh, I was going to say a hundred bucks maybe. I think I got a hundred bucks. Because yeah. I remember I was 16. I did my first TV commercial here in Australia and it was a Clearacel commercial. And they wanted me because I didn't actually have any pimples, and which was ironic. And uh, and I remember we got paid fifteen hundred bucks for the day. We then got paid all this money, and it was like I'm sixteen years old, and I've got all this money coming in, and it was just insane. All I wanted to do then was commercials, and then we did the next one, and they gave me a hundred dollars cash and said thanks for coming. It was like oh, the wow. Well, what was the what was the second commercial? For? Uh, Kellogg's. Well, you'd think Kellogg's could have like oh, thrown exactly. a couple more hundred at you. I know the bastards. But anyway, the um the, the Clearasol commercial got renewed for about two or three years, so I was just getting paid for nothing. It was great. And so would you just turn on the TV and see yourself? I've, oh yes indeed. Indeed. And that was pretty funny. I can't find it now though. I've been looking everywhere to show my kids. Uh, they still don't curses. believe Curses. Yeah. Curses. We did it for a piss take at the time, and uh, one of the other guys had gone for this the, this ad, and we all just went down, and I was the one that got chosen. So there you go. Awesome. Yeah. So that, that, uh, what did you what did you do with the money? Uh, probably ate it. I would probably. Say. Yeah, I think I bought my first car, which cost me one hundred and seventy dollars. Um, it was a good car, obviously, and um, yeah, that was about it. Uh, I just parked. What kind of car was that? A Toyota Corona, two-tone, <gasps> two-tone two green car. It was great. Oh, wow. A Corona, not a Corolla. No, it was a Corona. It was before the Corolla. Yeah. Yeah, good vehicle, good vehicle. I remember I took I like the Corona. To my girlfriend's house, who's now my wife, and uh, I said to her mother, oh, great, great, I've got new brakes in my car, and then I got abused because she said that, how have you been taking my daughter out without brakes in your vehicle? I was like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, cool. <laughs> so you're in New York City where you're now a soapy actor. When do you oh, make God. the decision that you're no longer an actor and you want to do something else? Yeah. Well, you know, New York is, is like I said, it's great when you're young and naive. And it's okay to be broke when you're young. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was there about five, six years, and it just got harder and harder. And it became apparent to me that uh, showbiz wasn't quite working out. And uh, I missed my family on the West Coast. And so I decided to move back to the West Coast, but not right near my family. So I moved to Seattle, Washington. Um, which is the state above. We had our geography lesson earlier yeah, it was just and uh, went back to school yet again. Back to university um, again. Yes. And this time I entered, and this is a, a very pivotal point. I entered a uh, university program to learn about uh, uh, broadcasting and media. Okay. And so... Uh, I went to this class and learned how to, you know, edit, edit videotape and how to shoot and do audio and, and, uh, you know, put together pieces. And then through this, uh, program, I was able to get an internship, uh, at a local news station, like, let's say like a local version of channel nine, channel yeah. seven, something like that. 
And I was the intern, and so I was able to follow reporters, producers, uh, assignment desk, everything that goes on in a news gathering uh, service. And that was really quite pivotal for me because um, that's how I got into TV and uh, really started um, at the very bottom, the very bottom. So after that internship, they hired me to be uh, a writer. I was a bad writer um, at the time, <laughs> but an overnight writer. So I would go to work at 12 midnight and work until 9 a.m., five days a week. And so my world got turned upside down. And what you were you know, writing? News stories or what were you writing? News story. Uh-huh. Like, there was a fire in Adelaide today. It was very <laughs> suspicious. No animals were hurt. That was the kind of stories I wrote. And uh, I thought I could be, I also, yet again, I wanted to be a reporter. I thought, mm, I could be a reporter. And so uh, I got my big break one day, a Saturday morning early. The reporter called in sick and my news director goes, Richard, wait, wait, here's your big chance. There's a fire up in uh, Capitol Hill. Big, big fire. Go up there. We want you to report live from it. And I'm like, yes, I got it. So I go up there and I'm getting ready. I have my microphone and they're like, okay, you're live in three, two, one. And I'm like, hello, there's a fire here, man. It's hot. Ooh, yes. Uh, I was just as camp as Christmas. It was crazy. And so I'm like, back to you. And so I come back and my boss is like, Reed, get in here. And he's, I'm like, oh my God, they're going to hire me full time. I'm a I've reporter so now. Well. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yes. Um, he's like, so that was a fire. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, people were hurt. I'm like, yeah. Animals died. And I'm like, yeah, that's sad. And he goes, why were you smiling the whole time? Why did you act like you were at a disco party? And I'm like, oh, I didn't know I was. Get out of here. So I was back writing my little stories, but then I discovered that 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 uh, network, that station, had an entertainment reporter, not unlike Richard Wilkins. Okay. And so I was able to then kind of shadow him and work part time for him and write his stories. And that's something you know. I'll tell you, who knows? You know the things you gather along the way. I have a great um, knowledge of of cinema, movies, actors, trivia, and all that. So I was able to combine my my love of, of film and wanting to be an actor with now my newfound skills of writing and reporting and put them all together. And then, voila, you become an entertainment reporter. And Ta-da. so you got there. This is it. Now you, do you realize this is me? Is that when it goes, I've realized yes. what I should be? Exactly, exactly. And uh, then I, I worked a couple more years, you know, putting together uh, stories, going on um, interviews, uh, doing all the work for the main entertainment reporter, but I was his producer, and yep. then slowly putting together a tape of my own. And then I conned another television station into hiring me. And there you go. And at this time, are you um, where, where you were based? Are you interviewing celebrities yet or are you sort of just local you know what i am because i the movie studios they have um these things you may have heard of like press junkets where they where media flies in and in america it's crazy they'll they'll they flew me down uh from seattle to la probably three times a month maybe in the other time i'd go to new york and do all these movie junkets like three four movies in a weekend you watch the movie go do the interviews you watch another movie go do the interviews and so i did that kind of schedule for five years where i just didn't really have a day off i was just so committed and i really enjoyed it but it is certain sacrifice like your youth and beauty um (laughs) and friendships (laughs) yeah who needs those things but uh I really had a good time and I, I accomplished a lot, traveled a lot, met and interviewed a lot of celebrities. And then the GFC happened and my position was eliminated. Oh dear. That's not good. Oh dear. Imagine oh dear. that. Imagine. Hang on. That's imagined. 
Then what? It's a reality. So I was like, well, it was nice while it lasted. So did you really think it was all over? Did you think that was it now? I'm going to have to go and do something else? No, no, no. I thought, oh, I'll move to L.A. and and go to work on the E-network or something. So I moved to L.A. I decided, okay, I moved to L.A. I've been there enough, and that's really what I want to do. So I moved to L.A., and I knew I was a good writer and producer of stories. And so I moved to L.A., and I got a job as a producer at the E-network on a show. It was one of the first paparazzi tabloid shows. It was called Celebrities Uncensored. So we would get uh, paparazzi footage and photos, and then we'd write kind of a, you know, cheeky half-hour show around those. It was quite popular, but the celebrities hated us, of course, and we were canceled after three years. Oh, dear. And back then, paparazzi, it's a really interesting topic because... Did you like what they did? Obviously, it was paying your bills, but did you agree with what the paparazzi did um, when you were editing? You know, stuff, I think or is it... I think um, the paparazzi are—they're part of the showbiz publicity machine. They might not be the most attractive part, yet they are necessary. Um, they, you know, I—I I, I think that you know, obviously. The paparazzi that chased after Princess Diana, they should all be strung up and, you know, left to die. Uh, However, um, you know, photographers who, uh, you know, hang out at Bondi or in Malibu and get video of, you know, people walking or kissing or, you know, just your average man on the street, those kind of, I I don't have an issue with that you know if they're overly aggressive of course that's never a nice way to behave if they cause accidents yet they're part of the publicity machine that make showbiz run at least up until you know the current climate it sells magazines it sells papers it sells movies and what's it like being on the other end of that because obviously you've now had uh, a, a distinguished career let's put that and you've had paparazzi chase you and stories in these magazines and that sort of stuff. Does that make you look at that any differently? No. No? Nope, not at all. Uh, in fact, it's made uh, the paparazzi's um, role and position uh, even clearer to me that they, okay. they you know, I, I don't particularly like being photographed at the beach with my gut hanging out eating, <laughs> you know, a Big Mac. <laughs> No, thank but you, but reality. it has been done before. <laughs> no, oh, Richard fair. Reed having a feed. <laughs> you know, had I known they were there, I would have sucked my gut in and worn a better swimsuit, you know? Um, but, you know, um, my uh, friend said to me when I was complaining about it, when th- that first started happening, it doesn't happen all the time. I ain't no Brad Pitt. Come on. You know, I'm I'm the one that, that happens to be there. I don't even zombie film. Yeah, <laughs> other than the zombie film. I'm the one that just happens to be there, and they're like, oh, slow news day. Um, <laughs> but I remember I was saying to a girlfriend of mine, I can't believe they would do that, and I look so fat, I was so mean. And she goes, Richard, live by the sword, die by the sword. 100%. It's not like it's, you made a very good living reporting on on celebrities and paparazzi photographs for a very long time so it's not like you have you know an argument to stand on and i was like i know i don't you're right i don't you know and it's the same when you go on any kind of um you know twitter or any internet site or daily mail and and you read things that aren't flattering or when people you know in comments they have a go at you and just jump on you and start kicking online. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember the first couple times that happened, I was just devastated. I was like, how can they write these things about me? I'm such a, they don't know. They don't know. And then finally it was Richard Wilkins who I was think I was working at nine at the time. And he took me out back of the, the, the network there. And there's this big window and he goes, Richard, now, look over to the right. See all that over there? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, those people to the right, 
they love you. And I'm like, oh, good. He goes, look over there. See all that area over there to the left? And I'm like, yes. He goes, those people, they hate you. And I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. He goes, Richard, look right down the middle. Look forward. See all that, all those people? And I said, yes. And he goes, those people, they don't give a shit about you. <laughs> those are the people you need to focus on. And I'm like, cool. oh, okay. So I was like, you know what? There you go. So <laughs> Richard Wilkins has been a, an awesome friend to me and an awesome mentor. And I really learned a lot from him because, you know, he's had his uh, time in the in the tabloids sure. as well. He's, you know, lived to tell, lived to tell. And uh, so, you know, there, I just can't pay. I don't got no never mind for what people write about me. That's a fair way. Good way to live, mate. Good way. Yeah. So we're in, um, we're in, <laughs> we're back in LA. I don't know how we got here. Oh, that's fine. This is the whole joy of this podcast. We can go anywhere. So we're, we're in LA. We're working for E. We're a producer on the, on E. When, when do you come to Australia? How's that, how's that happen? Uh, very good. So um, after a couple of years at E, I then went to work for Entertainment Tonight. And I was a hotshot producer there. And uh, still going and doing uh, press junkets, but you know, I wasn't really. I was on maybe you know once a month on the weekend show uh, for like a second. You know, still yeah, yeah. kind of wanting to be that. But I pretty much decided, you know what? I had my time on TV. I'm good. I've done more than I ever thought I would do, and you know, I'm fine with just being a producer. Well, I met a girl at one of the uh, press interviews. I think it was at the Lost in Translation. So we're going back quite a bit and met her. And she said, oh, I'm moving to Australia. I'm going to work on this uh, Today show down there. My boyfriend already works there. And I'm like, well, good for you, you know, <laughs> see you around. And she was like, yeah, yeah, give me your card. Well, about a year later, I get this phone call out of the blue from Jenny, her name was. And she said, Richard, I wonder if you can help me out. It's Jenny. And I'm like, yeah. She goes, the um, person who does, this is from the Today Show. Yeah. Uh, she says, the person who does our, our weekend gossip crosses via satellite in LA, uh, he can't really do it this weekend. So I was wondering if you could jump in and, and you know, pick some stories and, and just talk with, talk with our, our guy, Richard Wilkins. And I'm like, Sure, I can do that in my sleep. No problem. So and I found you know who Richard Wilkins was at this time. Not a clue. Okay. Not a clue. Not a clue. And so uh, I, uh, you know, Tracy Grimshaw, huh? What? <laughs> um, so I went and did it, and we got on really well. And Richard's hilarious, and he thought I was funny. That's always bonus points. But I, so then afterwards, I I talked to the producer Jenny. I said, Hey, Jenny. Um, that went well. She goes, yeah, no, well, I said, listen, what, what happened to the guy who usually does the gossip crosses? And she goes, well, that's uh, Danny Bonaduce from the Partridge family. And I said, oh. And she goes, yeah, he got arrested for beating up a cross-dressing hooker last night. <laughs> and so he's in jail. So we don't know when we're going to see him again. And I was like, oh, well, hey, there you go. So I owe my <laughs> career to Danny Bonaduce for the Partridge Round. And, and he and never you, came back. And, and they had Danny me on. Since? <laughs> yeah, Danny, yeah. Okay. He's still alive. Yeah. But he, he was mates with Richard Wilkins, and so he did it. But he's had, you know, up and down problems and stuff. But the point of the story is they had me on every week for a year after that. So just on go. the weekends. Yes. And then after that, and I'll wrap this up because it's really, I'm boring myself. Um, <laughs> after that, they had a, a new executive producer and they said, Oh, Richard, you know, we're going to go in another direction. I'm like, fine by me. Cause I was doing it on the weekends, had my regular job. It was just a little bit of gravy, you yeah. know, and it's fun to me. And then a year after that, they called me up and said, Hey, we'd like you to do it every single day. And I'm like, okay, I'll do it on my lunch break. So I did it on my lunch break because of the time difference and it caught on. So I was on like once a day, twice a day. It got up to sometimes where I was on four times a day. Wow. And I. Yeah. So it really caught on well. And so I was very grateful. I had a wonderful time working on the Today Show uh, with and Richard. And were you just crossing then or when did you first come to Australia? 
Well, then I came down probably about two years. They had me down for the Melbourne Cup. And that was mm-hmm. my first my first trip to Australia. And man, I was just, I was so green, you know, kind of just so wide eyed and everyone was so nice. And, and, uh, uh, it was just, a just a great experience. Cause I really had no idea the, uh, impact and how popular the today show was at that time. Um, and how many people really watched it. I would just go to a studio and talk to a camera, you know, a couple times a day. And I just knew, you know, Richard. And at that point, I think, was it Lisa, maybe? Um, you know, I just knew what I knew. Yeah. But then when all of a sudden, you know, I'm going through customs, my very first day, you know, in Australia. And the the guy says, oh, good day, Richard. What's the goss? And I'm like looking around. I'm like, who the <laughs> hell is he talking to? And so I was really just so... Um, um overwhelmed and yeah and humbled by the response people were so nice and uh it was just amazing to me and you know of course when you know you're new and bright and shiny you have all these meetings and stuff and through that i was able i got a television show called uh, domestic blitz uh which came which was in between backyard blitz and then the block there was a couple of years where we did domestic blitz. I ran for four seasons, four series with Scott Cam and Shelley Kraft. And so I was part of that. So that's when I really started spending a lot of time in Australia. And then when did you move down permanently? Or are you here permanently or do you live between the two? Stores? No, I'm not here permanently. I'm, um, I probably spend about, uh, you know, three quarters of the year here. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like it here uh, a lot. And, uh, you know, I'm, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, I still go back to, uh, to America. My, my parents are both very old. So I go and check in on them and, uh, visas, immigration, there's of all of that, <laughs> you know, so you got to find the, the, the right fit. And usually the projects I come down for are, you know, between three and six months. So yeah. I, I bounce, I bounce around a lot. So you were with channel nine for a long time. Mm. And then um, nine that, years. And that did that end abruptly, or can you talk about that? It ended uh, uh, abruptly. Yes. There's no bad blood or anything. It just came to, um, you know, a logical end. There, yeah. you know, contracts, money. It was a bad time for the network. Uh, so yeah. It ended, and but you know, I've I've been back working for nine several times after that. So clearly, they don't hate me. <laughs> I did Celebrity Apprentice for you them. Did, that was also you know, whenever they did, whenever they do twenty to one, I uh, I'm I'm there. I've done a, a number of things, you know, and I've done you know a lot of things with ten, of course. Seven, I've hardly done anything on. Which oh, I did do an episode of that show, First Dates last year but no. i didn't get i didn't have a second date let's put it I, uh, I actually do remember watching that now it just popped into my head <laughs> yeah but one, one episode didn't go well, <laughs> well uh, these things, these things happen yeah yeah i think they're all they're all one episode you know <laughs> so it's not as if you know they tried me out and it didn't work uh, <laughs> So yeah. Celebrity Apprentice, you get a phone call from your agent, um, I'm sure, and saying, hey, there's an opportunity here. Celebrity Apprentice, obviously, had been on in the U.S. for a long time. Um, mm. uh, Mark, Mark Boris was the, uh, was the main character here. Did you know him at the time? Yes, I did. I had, I had watched a previous series. I was on okay. the fourth series of that, so I had watched. And I knew a number of people on it. And... Uh, you know, they all said it was really quite hard and stressful. And I'm like, ah, that's because they're soft. They're not hard like me. <laughs> um, but it was a hard show, hard, really hard. Um, Did you learn you know, much? Uh, I learned not to trust people. Okay, very cool. Um, it, 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 uh, I, I think that, I mean, you don't know me that well, but I would think in just this conversation, I'm pretty much the same as I always am. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, 
what you see is what you get. And I don't lie and I don't try to manipulate situations yet in that particular genre, you know, it's not unlike big brother in that way where people will plot behind your back and say it's all, things. It's all about or, lying and deceit. <laughs> That's yeah. The and succeeding at business. That, that was, that was new to me and I really took it very personally. And, okay. uh, you know, and of course the magic of editing, all of a sudden they'll show me go, why are you doing that? I can't believe you're doing that. When I was pushed to that point yet that's yeah. the only part they show you know so i i don't think i came off that show looking particularly good and it was a very very hard hard show to be on so is it one of the ones you regret oh no no i'm glad i did it i i did learn a lot like i learned that not everyone is uh, you know what you see is what you get yeah. i learned a lot about uh reality television in that yeah. in that way um learned how it works i mean I, I, I i'd always been good uh with giving a you know pithy concise sound bite yeah. you know um but i was able to i really learned a lot and honed a lot of skills no, that's good. i think everything is a learning experience so i did learn learn a, a lot and uh you know i'd worked with carrie ann a number of times over the years and then she was on that show she was not a contestant she was one of the uh kind of judges or business yeah. bosses and stuff but yeah no i met a lot of really nice people and a few not nice people um but I'm, I don't regret it at all. Everything oh, is good. everything is a stepping stone um, to the next project. Indeed, indeed. And then a few years later, your agent comes to you and says, hey, do you want to go and hang out in the jungle for a while? Now that... <laughs> was that a yes straight away or was that a, oh, I don't know about that one? No, that... Well, very interesting, Brad. Okay, I had had a meeting with uh, some people at 10 about six months before, and they had said, well, we have um, Dancing with the Stars coming up, and we also have I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Would you be interested in either of these? And I was like, yeah, well, I'd sure be interested in talking about them. That's how I always say it. I'd be interested in talking <laughs> about them. Um, so then about you know six months went by, and I get call call from 10 again, and they call me in. And I've been taking dance classes, learning how to rumba, <laughs> salsa, tango, disco. Fingers. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was ready to go. And so they say, so would you be interested in, and I'm, I'm thinking they're going to say, Dancing with the Stars. And I'm like, and they say, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. And I was like, what? What? Who? What? Me? <laughs> And I was like, uh, yeah, I would be. I'd be very interested. Um, and uh, yeah, it was it was something. It was beyond my wildest dreams. Anything I, everything I thought it was going to be, it wasn't. Um, I had an amazing, amazing experience doing that show. Uh, I wish I was in that jungle right now, back with my campmates, with no phone, no TV, no Wi-Fi, and just having ourselves to enter. You know, I, I really yeah. don't particularly want to get electrocuted or be have snakes dumped on me again, but that's a small price to pay for that kind of uh, very simple um, existence. So I, I had a, a, a wonderful time, and I'm 100% telling you right now, now, hand to God, I never, ever thought I would win and be the last man standing. I never thought I'd get crowned king of the jungle, ever, ever. I thought two weeks, I was already, you know, I'll tell you, I was, I had even gone so far as to plan my vacation in Cape Town after <laughs> I got kicked out. <laughs> I was like, I'll stay here, I'll go here. Ooh, this one's supposed to have a really nice steak. Oh, look at the beach. And so I was already to go. I was looking yeah. at cheap flights. And so every time when they said, you know, it could be you, it could be you. And they said, it wasn't me. They didn't say my name. I was like, Oh, well, okay. Well, I guess I'll have a smaller vacation. So when I made it to the very end, I, I was very happy, of course, and really surprised. And, you know, it just, 
I, as I said earlier on, I'm not used to winning a lot of things in my life. And so that was a new experience. And also it really solidified for me that um, I'm, I'm pretty good value and that people really like me and Australian viewers clearly, you know, they voted for me to stay. And that was really, really wonderful. I don't, I don't take that lightly at all. And also because it was a great family show, it, it, uh, you know, opened up a whole new um, audience to me with, uh, you know, families, young, young people, you know, senior citizens, you know, it was really wonderful. It was just the reaction from people was really, um, really uh, touched my heart still to this very day. Well, mate, I'm very much like you. What you see is what you get. And mm. I can honestly say to you, seeing the joy and the surprise on your face when you won that, you could actually <laughs> see it was real. And I think everyone in the country's heart went out to you. It was like, like he's won. He's just like, that was the oh my god moment from you, not from the fact that you won. We all knew you were going to win, but oh. but, but just from the out, the, the the joy and happiness in your face was one of the best moments in TV, uh, by far. Oh, from what we've seen, seriously, it's uh, it, it was a joy to watch. And through that whole process, and I mentioned to you earlier that one of the other contestants that were on that show I've I've known all my life, and uh, and to see her in the final with you and all that sort of stuff, and. We just knew you were you were the one. You you were such a nice, kind-hearted man in that whole whole however many oh. weeks it was. And I'm not the type to blow wind up people's asses. It's not what I do. It's just this is me. And uh, I really appreciate you for that for what you did on that show. Well, thank you very much. I I I I appreciate that more than I can convey. I just you know I went in with the idea that. Um, I'd rather, one is I'd rather be happy than be right. You know, I don't need to be that's right. True. You know, that's a very, um, male trait. Like I'm right. I'm right. And I'm like, I'm more like, okay, whatever. I'd yeah. rather be happy, you know? And so I just, um, cause I had such a wretched experience on celebrity apprentice. I was really quite wary of going into something where people were going to perhaps be less than honest. And that was not the case at all. And I made up my mind that I wasn't going to buy into anything like that. But no one was like that. Everyone was very upfront. And if if there was any kind of issue or point to talk about, I just addressed it directly, you know? I'm like, oh, that's just the way to do it. And I think everyone deserves respect and deserves to be part of the of the party. You know, it was a it was you know, it was a wonderful experience. And plus, when you have a community of 14 celebrities, if someone feels left out, that's that's a big thing. So I just wanted everyone to be included and have a good time because I know what it's like to be on the outside. I know what it's like to be ostracized. And I wouldn't wish that on anyone. So it was really, um, I get emotional talking about it. Um, it was really um, my goal to make sure that everyone had a wonderful time and was excluded and heard because that's really all anyone wants to be is heard and understood. A hundred percent. And the thing it yeah. seems like is you guys are all um, still in contact and you actually did create a group of friends out of this. I think that's amazing. Absolutely. As I said, you know, <laughs> as I'm fond of saying, uh, when people ask me about the, 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 the group of celebrities, I said, you know what? I liked everybody in the jungle to varying degrees. You know, <laughs> some people I liked really great. Other people's I liked just fine, you know, but Fair I call. did not dislike anybody. Fair call, and that's mate. a wonderful Fair thing call. to say. It is indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Well, a couple of things I like to do before I end my podcast is I always end, end the podcast with some quick fire questions, but there's three questions that I love to ask people, just sort of get an understanding. They're, they're not hard, I promise. When was the first time you were ever recognized? Okay. Oh, God. The first time I was ever recognized. And how did that feel back probably then? Probably. Well, I can, I'll tell two, two little things. Yeah. The first time I was ever recognized in Seattle, I was in a, in a, uh, Thai restaurant 
And uh, I'd been on TV for maybe six months. And I did a movie review show called Richard's Reels. <laughs> I, my boss came up with it. I was like, okay, well, whatever, Richard's Reels. And so I go and I'm having my Thai food with a friend of mine. And the waitress says, oh, which are real? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> oh, which are real? <laughs> I was just like, what? <laughs> Finally, I, I understood that she was saying Richard's real. Yeah, and I was enough. like, oh, yeah. She goes, oh, yeah, you're very funny. And I was like, okay. <laughs> which is wheels? And so, <laughs> a true story. And then another the the most times when someone says, oh, my God, I just love you on TV. And I'm like, thank you. And they'll say, what are the other Queer Eye guys doing? And I'm like, I'm not Carson <laughs> Presley. Stop it. I'm not. Oh, you know, it's funny the funny. first two times. But I, I tell you, it ha it's happened to me more than 100 times. So, you know. You should just sign it, the name. Yeah, I'll just, yeah, that's fine. Here you go. <laughs> I should. I should. So there you go. Oh, that's funny. Who's the uh, who's the person the most memorable you've ever interviewed? The most memorable, um, I would say, gosh, that's a hard one. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you some standouts. Sandra Bullock is always wonderful. Julia Roberts was fascinating because she you know she's so beautiful on screen but then when you see her in person she has these huge eyes this long nose these big lips but a really tiny head and so i was like wow but still beautiful but you know it's just like the features are so exaggerated but then when they go through the camera lens you get julia roberts yeah. you know um let's see that that's good and then uh, John Travolta has always been very pleasant and mm -hmm. I that, just leave it at that. He's always been very nice. And do they remember and, you next time you interviewed? Like yes. obviously they see hundreds of, of people. Do they remember you? They do because, you know, I would just, I would never just ask the usual 10 questions that yeah. they get asked. I'd always try to do something different. So they'd, they'd remember. And then finally I did get to interview Brad Pitt once. And that was great for me because I worship Brad Pitt. <laughs> and was he as nice as you thought? As a hundred percent as as nice as and, I and was he as hot as you thought? And ten times hotter than I thought. <laughs> and I will say this: Hugh Jackman is the nicest man in the world. So why'd you try and oh. run him over? Oh gosh, good one, good one, good one. That was the the there was when I first came to Australia doing that show. Uh, it was the one week I attempted to drive in Australia. I have not driven since. I came around a corner in Sydney going down this street, and I was on the wrong side of the street with traffic coming at me. And I went up onto the sidewalk to avoid a head-on collision. And apparently, Hugh Jackman was on that sidewalk outside a restaurant, and I almost hit him. But I didn't know. I had to read about it the next day in Sydney Confidential. <laughs> What did he did he say that you did? Have you spoken to him me. about it? Not me. He never knew it was me. No one knew it was me. I knew it was me because I read about it and I was like, that was me. <laughs> and have you ever spoke to Hugh Jackman about that? No, I never. Oh, there you go. Hopefully he's at first on here. There you go. I hopefully. Hopefully. So what what's your greatest achievement in life? Uh well, of course, winning the jungle was a pretty great one. Mm-hmm. That was just such an accomplishment for me. And then also, God, this sounds really hokey, but that I have never disappointed my parents, that I've never been a hindrance to them and that I've been able to, uh, you know, that they're proud of me. That's a big achievement for Absolutely. me. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I brought them to Australia you know, they'd never left America before, so they were able to get passports and come to yeah. Australia. Had a wonderful time, and uh, so yeah, I would say being a good son is, you know, and I'm not done yet being a son, you know, so it could go wrong. Uh, but so far, so good. That's awesome. 
Okay, mate. The quick fire questions. Ready? Favorite that wasn't food. the quick fire. Ah, here we go. You ready? Favorite food. Pizza. Favorite song. God. Close to you by the Carpenters. Favorite movie. Silence of the Lambs. Really? Favorite yes, place in the Twisted. world. What? Favorite place in the world. Oh, Tamarama Beach. Love that place. Yeah. Favorite, uh, sorry, what's next for Richard Reed? Oh, what's next? Oh, probably watch this space. Come a on, book. you can break it on here. A, a book. A book. But yes. not what you'd expect from me. How about that? Well, and maybe soon a podcast on the Podfire platform. You never know. We're going to talk after this show. It could be. It could <laughs> well, be. Richard, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate you as a human. And as far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks so much. Oh, my God. That is really nice to hear. And I hope I haven't bored you with my stories. Oh, it's been great. I really appreciate it, buddy. Oh, Cheers. thank you so much. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate. Bye. What an amazing human. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you enjoy the rest of the Podfire podcast. And I really hope that you enjoyed Awesome Humans. Reach out to us on Podfire and all the social media channels, as well as BJ Macker, uh, to reach out to me personally. Have a great day.